Testament. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 4 is where we're going to be going. And if you have your Bible, you might want to kind of put your little ribbon there or mark it there. We're also going to be going to Proverbs chapter 9 and lots of different places in between, but those are going to be the two primary places that we're at uh, this morning, starting in 1 Kings chapter 4. I'm excited that you're here. Uh, for those of you that have been here the last few weeks, you know that we've started a series that we're calling Godly Wisdom. Uh, and what we're doing in this series is we're looking, taking a look at the life uh, of Solomon. Uh, scripture tells us that Solomon was the wisest man to ever uh, walk on this earth. And we began this series uh, by seeing God appear to Solomon at the beginning of Solomon's reign as king. We see God appear to Solomon in a dream. And he tells Solomon this. He says, Solomon, you can ask me for anything. And whatever it is that you ask me for, I'm going to give it to you. Wouldn't you like to be approached by God with a situation or a question like that, an opportunity like that? But that's exactly what happened in Solomon's life. And we saw the one thing that Solomon asked for was wisdom. He asked God that he might have some godly wisdom. We learned that Solomon was only 20 years old when he began his reign as king. And so Solomon recognized and understood his need for wisdom. And he asked God for wisdom so that he could know how to govern God's people, the great nation of Israel. And Solomon asked God for this wisdom so that he could govern over them and be able to distinguish between what was uh, good and what was evil, to be able to tell the difference between what was right and, and what was wrong. And we saw last week, because of the fact that Solomon was uh, seeking something that was in the best interest of God's kingdom, Solomon was asking something that would be beneficial to God's kingdom and not uh, Solomon's kingdom. Not only did God grant him re his request, but we saw last week uh, as we closed out that not only did God give him wisdom and make him the wisest man to ever live, but he also made him the richest. And God gave him so much more than what Solomon had act, act, actually asked for because he appreciated what Solomon had asked for, and that was godly wisdom. And then we see, uh, last week we were in chapter 3, we see as we move into chapter 4, uh, we see here that uh, it described the ways that this wisdom that he had uh, received from God, how that played itself out. Uh, in his life and in his reign as king. And I'm not going to read you all of this, but I just want to kind of hit the highlights this morning of how this incredible gift from God looked in Solomon's life. The first thing we see is that we see that Solomon became incredibly gifted at being a governor. Because of this God-given gift and, and the talents that he was given, we see that Solomon ruled the largest territory that Israel had ever occupied. It, it, they had the biggest territory that, that he governed all over that they had ever had. Uh, we see that Solomon was able to do something that, that takes a lot of skill, it takes a lot of wisdom to do, but Solomon was able to take some of the greatest military minds he, he was able to take some of the most intelligent people, some of the smartest people, uh, and, and all these leaders, and he was able to pull them together and get them to work together. 
Now, we know that that takes incredible wisdom to be able to do that, to get people from different sides to be able to come together and work together as one. It takes a, a tremendous amount of wisdom to be able to do that. That's something we haven't even seen in these United States in years and years and years, someone that would be able to pull all the people together. But Solomon could do that. He had that gift. He had that talent. We also see that Solomon was an extremely effective judge uh, in week one. We kind of talked about one of the cases that came before him where uh, there were two ladies that were, you know, arguing back and forth over, you know, whose baby was who. And we saw how he ruled and how he handled that case. He was able with the wisdom that he was given to rule uh, with great insight and, and with fairness. And we see that he had uh, compassion for the poor and he had compassion for the needy. We also see uh, in Scripture that Solomon was uh, an amazing builder. On over in chapter 9, we learned that he built one of the most magnificent, uh, magnificent structures uh, that had ever been built. Nothing in Israel's history had ever come close to comparing to the buildings that Solomon uh, would build. And, and nothing ever since, they said, have come close to the beauty of the buildings that he would build. We also learn here that Solomon was a financial genius. He brought the nation of Israel uh, into a time of their greatest economic growth. They experienced uh, prosperity like they never had before. Matter of fact, in verse 25, here in chapter 4, it says that every person lived under his own vine and his own fig tree, which basically in modern terms today uh, would mean that everybody had a new car in their garage and an iPhone X in their pocket, right? They were experiencing great economic growth and prosperity uh, in their nation. We also learned that he was a world-renowned scientist. He was an expert uh, in natural history and zoology and, and botany. He was a great military leader. We see over in chapter 10 that their military was so great that no one ever even considered uh, attacking Israel or, or even saying anything about Israel because their, their military might was so strong and, and, and so known across the land and no one dared to oppose them because of the military that he had built. We also know that Solomon became uh, a, a best-selling author, if you will. Uh, we see here in chapter 4 that it says he wrote over 3,000 proverbs and he wrote over 1,000 songs. Billy, Billy's a songwriter. Billy, have you written 1,000 songs yet? Not even close, right? I mean, that's quite an achievement. But it says here in Scripture, 3,000 proverbs, 1,000 songs. Many of those are included in the book of Psalms, in the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes. And some of your favorite book that you love best out of the Bible is the Song of Solomon. And he, he wrote that. And, and, and what we have in the Bible is just a small uh, a fraction of the writings that Solomon had written. His wisdom and his talents. I want you to look here. His talents and his ability and his wisdom had great limits, didn't it? It, it, it spread uh, across a, a vast uh, width of subject and, and had great, great knowledge. Uh, they had no limits. He was great uh, in a lot of areas and in a lot of things in so many different subjects. And the point is, the reason I want to cover all this and go over this this morning, I, I have a point to it, and I want you to see this. Solomon's wisdom that he received from God was not just a spiritual wisdom, okay? Okay. 
It wasn't just pertaining to spiritual things, but God gave him wisdom in all things. And I think that's something that we need to know, we need to recognize, and we need to understand that godly wisdom uh, applies not only to spiritual things, but it also applies to so-called secular things in our lives as well. Because here's the deal, God wants to be involved in all areas of this world. He wants to be involved in all areas of your life. He wants to be involved in all areas uh, of your family. Why is that? Because he is the creator of all and he wants to be in all and through all, right? And so he wants to give us wisdom in all kinds of different areas of our life, uh, including spiritual, but also uh, in the other side of that. And this is important to point out, but because of the greatness that Solomon experienced, the greatness that Solomon had in his life, verse 31 of chapter 4 here says this, because of that, his fame spread to all surrounding nations. And then in verse 34, it says, From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent, out, uh, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. And probably the, the, the high point of this, we, we find over in chapter 10, but he receives a visit from a queen, a, a pagan queen, a queen who didn't believe in God, wasn't a follower of God. And over in chapter 10 and verse 1, Scripture tells us this, when this pagan queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Now, what I want you to notice here is this, how God wants to use the gifts, how God wants to use the talents, and whatever success that you may have in life, he wants to give that to people. Why is that? So that others will know him, right? So that other people may see him. People saw Solomon's tremendous gifts. They saw Solomon's tremendous knowledge. Uh, and, and because of his life, what did they do? Well, we see what she does here. She connected that to his relationship with God. Right? She saw how great he was. She saw how wise he was, how talented he was. And she connected that uh, to his relationship with God. So let me ask you this question. How much do people... Connect your talents with the Lord your God. How much do people connect your success with the name of the Lord? How, how much do people connect your wisdom to the one who is your heavenly father? Because that's why you have whatever it is that you have. Whatever you have that is good, it came from him. Scripture says all good things come from above. So whatever it is that you have, whether it be success, gifts, talents, wisdom, whatever it may be, whatever you have is so that God can use that in you for his glory and not your own. All right? That's why you have whatever it is that you have. And when Queen Sheba met Solomon... And he was able to answer all her difficult questions that she came and brought. And she saw all that he had built and all that he had done and all that he had accomplished. Verse 5 tells us there that she was overwhelmed. Other translations say that it literally took her breath away. Now I want you to see 
what happens in her life when she sees what God has done through Solomon's life. In verse number 6, she says to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report that I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Look at what, and then look at what she says. Praise be to the Lord your God. Right? This pagan queen who didn't even believe in God, when she saw and she witnessed what God had done in and through Solomon's life, what does she do? She praises God, right? She praises this God who she claims she's never even believed in. And now she sees what God has done through his life and she praised God. She couldn't help but praise God because it was so obvious through Solomon's life that God was behind it all. He was the wisest and he was the greatest man to ever lived. But we touched on something last week. I kind of baited you last week, hoping it, it would pique your interest maybe to come back this week. But last week we talked about this. Solomon was the wisest and the greatest man to ever walk on this earth until Jesus showed up in the New Testament, right? As a matter of fact, we see Jesus over in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew make direct reference to this visit from Queen Sheba and, and Solomon's story in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. Jesus says this, the queen of the south, talking about Queen Sheba, will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. All right, don't miss this. Jesus is greater, right? However great Solomon was, Jesus trumps that every time. Jesus was greater than Solomon, and we read in Mark chapter 6 that people were amazed by Jesus' teaching. They were amazed to hear how he spoke, how eloquent, how wise it was that he spoke. Over in the Gospel of, of John, I love the story over in chapter 7, the Jewish leaders, you know, they, they were all mad at Jesus, and so they sent these guards out to go and, and arrest Jesus. Those guards went, and they found Jesus. A few hours later, they returned back to the leaders, and the leaders said, where's Jesus? You know, couldn't you find him? You know, we told you exactly where he was. And the guard said, oh, yeah, we found him. But let me tell you, no one has ever spoke the way that this man speaks, <laughs> right? That They were in such awe of the wisdom and how he spoke that they could not even bring themselves to arrest him. And this same Jesus... If you're a Christian today, lives in you. His spirit is in you, which means this. You are people of greatness. You may have been told otherwise. You may think otherwise. But if you're a follower of Jesus and Jesus lives in you, you are people of greatness. The greatest and wisest ever is present in your life and you're great not because of anything you have done. You are great because he is great. And again, this doesn't mean that we're all going to win the lottery this week, okay? This doesn't mean that we're all going to be rich. doesn't mean that we're all going to be skilled and famous like, you know, in every subject that we saw earlier. 
uh, in, in all different areas of our lives. But it does mean this. It does mean that the spirit that God gives us all, right? In that spirit, some of Jesus' greatness that he has planted in your life is so that he may be known, so that he may be seen, and he may be recognized, and he may be glorified in our lives. And so he gives us gifts. He gives us talents. He gives us wisdom and greatness as a testimony to his greatness, as a testimony to the greatness of God. And Solomon says it like this, and I love this, Proverbs chapter 22 and, and verse 29. This is what Solomon says. Do you see someone who is skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. So, so what does this mean for us? You know, we, we, well, we need to be seeking God for greatness, not so that we can be seen as being great, right? But so that we can stand before the queen's of Sheba and tell them about Jesus. We should be praying that God would make us great so that he would be known through our greatness and through what he does. And so make no apologies for praying to be great. Make no apologies for praying that we would have a great church because when we are great, people will see our great God in and through what he has done and through his greatness. But, uh, and so as Christians, as the church... We, of all people, can show the world what, what it looks like for someone to be skilled and to be successful for the glory of God, to use our talents, to use our gifts, whatever success we may have, to serve others, to give God glory, and to point people to Him. And I'll just tell you this morning, if you're not using your success, if you're not using your gifts and your talents for the glory of the one who gave them to you, then you have totally missed the point of your talent. You have totally missed the point of your success. You've totally missed the point of the blessings that you have. Now, I, I, I want to give you an example. And, and just to be clear, I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. I am not a fan of the NFL football team, Oakland Raiders. Okay? Let's just throw that out there. I'm a loyal member to the Steeler Nation, have been ever since I was a kid, which means I cannot like the Dallas Cowboys, and I believe any human being that is breathing and living cannot like the Oakland Raiders, so I don't like them either. But anyway, I have, I'm not a fan of the Oakland Raiders, but I'm going to tell you, I've become a huge fan of their quarterback, Derek Carr. And some of you may know that name, some of you may be familiar, but I believe that his life and the situation that he was recently in gives us a great illustration exactly of what Solomon is saying here uh, in this verse that we're looking at. But David Carr signed an unheard of contract, the largest contract that had ever been signed in the NFL with the Oakland Raiders, a contract that was worth $125 million dollars over a five-year period. That's $25 million a year uh, to play football. And so when he signed this contract, it made, you know, it was huge news, biggest contract ever signed. Uh, and so, you know, they had a press conference after he signed this contract, uh, and he was asked by the press what he planned to do with the money. Now, the first thing that he did here, I, I, I thought gave us a great glimpse of the kind of guy he was. He said, well, the first thing that I'm going to do is anytime I want Chick-fil-A, I'm going to have Chick-fil-A. 
He said, when I want something from Chick-fil-A, I'm just going to go buy something at Chick-fil-A. And they continued to press him and, and, and asked him, you know, seriously, what are you going to do uh, with all this money that you have now? And David Carr, I mean Derek Carr, in the spotlight of the, with the world shining down on him, for all the people to see his greatness, how awesome he was, he humbly said this. He said, I'll be tithing to my church. I wish he went to church here. <laughs> Come on, can't some of y'all be pro football players or something? <clears throat> but I love it. He, he just humbly said, he just matter-of-factly said, I'll be tithing to my church. God gets the first and the best. He said, I'm just excited to see how much good this will do for other people. And I thought, what a great example of that right there, right? His greatness, his talents, whatever notoriety that he uh, may be receiving, you know, he, he took the opportunity to take the spotlight off of himself and do what with it? Put it on God, who is a good God, who is a great God, that it put him in the very situation that he was in through his goodness to allow him to be a reflection of who God is to this world. That's exactly what he did. That's exactly what Solomon did. Solomon used his success to point people to God. So uh, I want to use the last bit of our time this morning because Solomon was the wisest person that ever walked the earth uh, up until Jesus. But I, I want to take a look at his words this morning and let Solomon kind of instruct all of us here today about how we are to seek godly wisdom. How Solomon said, you know, here's the way you ought to seek wisdom in your life. And ironically, the very things that Solomon said, uh, he will depart from later on in the years of his life. And we're going to be looking at that later on in the series. But I want you to turn with me now. We're going to finally get to Proverbs chapter 9. And here in Proverbs chapter 9, we see Solomon illustrate for us uh, what wisdom looks like. We see him illustrate here for us what foolishness looks like. And he introduces them. He uses the example of two different women. So let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 9. We see the first lady that he describes, and he calls her wisdom. Chapter 9, verse 1 uh, of Proverbs. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved its seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet, mixed the wines, and set the table. She has sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come eat, uh, come eat my food and drink the wine or grape juice for us Nazarenes that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live, learn to use good judgment. And then on down in verse 11, it says wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. And then Solomon goes on here as he's talking about wisdom and he defines for us this way of good judgment, this way of godly wisdom in verse number eight and nine. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you. But correct the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. So what is Solomon telling us here about wisdom? Well, the first thing 
that jumps out to me is this. A wise person will be open to correction. A wise person is open to correction. So let me ask you, because I have to ask myself, does this describe you? Are you open to correction? And how do you respond to correction? Now, I know what you would probably say, but let's say we ask your friends. Let's say we ask your spouse or your parents. Let's say we ask your coworkers or your boss or your employees. If you're an approachable person, what would they say? Most of you are probably here today sitting by someone that you know. You're probably with a friend or a relative or a spouse or someone that you know. And so just look at them right now and let them tell you on a scale of one to five how approachable you are. One being the worst, five being the best. Look at that person that's with you today and hold up your fingers one to five to tell them how they rate at receiving correction. One, two, three, go. Some of you right now are mad. Some of you are already thinking about how you're going to respond when you can get that person out in the parking lot. And the majority of you would not even participate. You wouldn't have nothing at all to do with it. Why is that? Because you don't want to receive any correction, right? You just laughed. Frank just laughed. He wouldn't even look at Dory. Frank's just sitting here. <laughs> Frank, if you didn't sit on the front row, I wouldn't pick on you. If you didn't sit on the front row, I'd have to pick on Pat. Pat's a lot bigger than you and me. But seriously, when people approach us, right, with correction, do you thank them for it or do you resent them for it? You know, I, I don't know. Some of you are perfect, so you probably thank them and go, oh, God bless you for correcting me. And God's still working on me, but hopefully I'll get there. But can we receive correction without becoming defensive or firing back? And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I am best at finding Lynette, who is my wife. I'm best at finding her faults right after she's pointed out one of mine, right? I mean, I'm like a machine gun. She, she shoots a single shot, you know, and points out one of mine. I'm like, Brrr. well, look at all the ones you got, St. Lynette, you know. Uh. You know, I think about it. Uh, a lot of people today have a lot of different political views. Uh, we, we, we don't even, we try to avoid that subject at all costs uh, because you view it, I mean, you, you, put it out there for all the world to see on Facebook. But anyway, we all have our own political views and opinions. And, and I was just wondering, you know, when we have a political discussion with someone uh, and we're talking about those things that we don't agree on and different agendas and all that, somebody that doesn't have the same view as us, are we more interested in hearing their view or convincing them that they are wrong? You know, and I, I think it's something to think about. I think it's something to consider because the Bible says a humble person is quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. See, a humble person, a person who is seeking wisdom, recognizes that there is probably more that they don't know than what they do know. And, and this is so hard for us. This is hard for me. I, you know, I was joking earlier, but I, I'm serious as all get out. I, I was telling somebody the other day, uh, and Lynette can confirm this for you, but I'm often wrong. But I'm passionate about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I am, I am never in doubt, but I am always wrong. Uh, I'll debate and argue to the bitter end right before Lynette proves to me that I was wrong all along. But, uh, but listen, if we're humble, uh, if I am humble, if I want to gain wisdom, I will spend twice as much time listening and trying to understand the other person's perspective as I do trying to convince them of mine. And getting them to understand mine. The second thing that a wise person does is this. Solomon says a wise person fears God. A wise person will fear God. And not in the way that, you know, we're terrified of clowns. Don't show up here tonight wearing a clown outfit, all right? Because that's just weird. Not, there's not that kind of fear that we have of those kinds of things. Here, here's how Solomon said in, in verse number 10 here. He says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. So you want to be wise? Solomon says you want to have wisdom in your life? You want some godly wisdom in your life? The foundation to having wisdom is fear of the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One will result in good judgment. Fearing God is the foundation of wisdom, and that doesn't mean that we sit around being terrified of him. And I read this illustration uh, recently that I think explains this so good, better than I ever could. But this, this gentleman said, think of God like the sun, okay? And, and, and that's the S-U-N sun, the bright thing in the sky sun. Think of God uh, like the sun. He said, most of us don't get up in the morning and think, I hope the sun doesn't do something bad to me today, right? I mean, we don't wake up. We know how powerful the sun is, but yet we don't wake up you know, scared that the sun is going to do something bad to us that day. But instead, what do we do? We recognize the power of the sun. We know that the sun is necessary for life, right? And, and that being in the wrong relationship to the sun could cause death. You know, being in wrong, the wrong relationship to the sun can cause great damage uh, to us. To fear God is to know how important and know how powerful he is in your life. To know and understand, to fear God is to know how much you need him. To know how much you depend on him and how foolish it would be for you to not be in right relationship with him or to be separated from him. And we should fear what God thinks about us much more than we fear what other people think about us, right? We should be more afraid of what God's opinion of us is than we are of what other people's opinions of us are. And your fear of God is measured by how sensitive and aware you are to your relationship with him. Listen, when you fear God, disobedience to him doesn't just make you feel guilty. It should scare you. When you fear God, listen, you will want 
to be in his word. Why? Because you can't get enough of this life-sustaining source in your life. When we fear God, we'll want to be in his word so that he can continually be speaking into our lives and instruct us and show us what he would have us to do and where he would have us to go. When we fear God, we'll be people of prayer. Prayer will become natural to you when you have a proper feel of God, as natural as, as breathing is. You know, as natural as breathing is for you because you know how dependent you are on that for life, right? You know how dependent you are for oxygen in your life. And when we have this, this, this proper fear of God, uh, we'll think of him the same way. Listen, you don't breathe because you have an accountability partner that texts you every two seconds and tells you to breathe, right? That's not why we breathe. You don't need an accountability partner to hold you accountable for breathing. You breathe because instinctively you recognize that you have to have that to sustain life. You recognize that the importance of oxygen and you're scared to be without it. That's how a person who fears God is with God. Their, their instinct in any situation must be, I need God every hour of every day, and so I want to be connected to him, and I want to be breathing him in, and I want him to be filling me with his presence every moment of every day. It, it's a healthy fear of God when we understand how desperately we need him to live. When we understand how desperately we need him for help in our lives, that is a healthy fear of God. Now, I want to close this morning by, by looking at this second lady that Solomon introduces us to here uh, in Proverbs chapter 9, and he tells us that her name is Folly. Look at verse 13. He says, The woman named Folly is brash. She is ignorant and doesn't even know it. That's in the Bible. I've said that about some folks, but that's in the Bible. She sits in her doorway on the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave, or better translated, hell. So do you notice here in being introduced to these two ladies how similar the description of these two women are, wisdom and folly? They're both at the same location, right? They sit in the highest place of the city calling out to people as they pass by, and they both have prepared to have guests. But notice that wisdom calls out to those who are humble. Wisdom calls out to those who fear God. And folly appeals to those who want immediate satisfaction. Now, I want you to look at the difference between what the two women said because they basically said the exact same thing with the exception of the last line. Wisdom says, come in with me. She urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Folly says the same thing, except she says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. 
Folly says, who really cares where this came from because this tastes so good right now. And to be foolish doesn't necessarily mean that you hate God. To be foolish doesn't necessarily mean that you're an atheist or an agnostic. Being foolish just means that you're simply willing to set him aside temporarily to get what you want, like success or pleasure or wealth or romance. Which brings us to our last point this morning, a wise person values their relationship with God more than anything else. And some of you that are here today, you may really need to consider this today. Do you value God in your life more than anything else? Do you value God more in your life more than anyone else? Maybe it's sexual. Will you wait till you get married? You know, maybe it's with success. Are you determined to climb the corporate ladder, the, the ladder of success, even if it means neglecting your family? Or maybe compromising your integrity just a little bit? Maybe it's in regards to, to building up wealth. And you're disobeying God's command to tithe and to be generous to other people in order to accumulate more for yourself. Listen, wisdom says it's better to do things God's way with God than to eat stolen bread. Don't miss what Solomon said in verse 11 about wisdom. He said, wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. Listen, there's a kind of gratification that comes from pleasing God that just lasts longer. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a gratification that comes from pleasing God that is so much more satisfying than any stolen bread will ever provide you. Godly wisdom, that kind of wisdom, puts God above everything else and everybody else in your life and in your relationships. It says, I'd rather have this relationship with God. I'd rather have Him than anything else. And because of that, I'm going to seek Him first. <laughs> we saw Solomon do that, right? And what happened when he sought Him first? All these things were added unto Him. So, godly wisdom says that I had rather have my relationship with God and put Him first over everything else. And the bottom line this morning is this. If you've slept through this whole deal and you're just waking up, I'm getting to the bottom line. This is the main thing, right? But here's the deal. There are two women that are calling you down two different paths. And both of those paths are offering you happiness. Prioritize your relationship. You've got to figure out there are literally two different paths that we're being invited to go down. One says, go down this path and be humble. Be willing to be open to correction. You know, if you go down this path, you're going to assume that you don't know it all. 
and that you don't have all the answers. That past says that we're to fear God, pray often, be in His Word, put our relationship with Him above everything else. The other path that we're invited to travel says this, you are the one who is in the right. Don't receive correction. Always assume the best about your motives and assume the worst about everybody else's motives. Because ultimately, on that path, you know what is best for you. A little religion is good. You know, on that path, you obey God's Word when you think it applies to you, and when you don't think it applies to you, well, you just go your own way. And don't miss this. Both of these paths, when you begin your journey down these paths, both of these paths feels so right when you begin on them. When you start down them, they feel good. They make you happy. They feel so right, but one leads to peace and happiness and blessings while the other path leads to destruction. Solomon goes on to warn over in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25. He says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. The question before all of us, I believe every single day, is which path will we choose? Which path will you choose? Wisdom is calling out to you today. Folly is calling out to you today. Which path will you choose? Because here's the deal. The one who is greater than Solomon is here. The one who is greater than Solomon is calling out to every single one of us, and he wants to walk with us down this path of wisdom. And Solomon knew that. And so I've been praying that for you and for me, your families, and our church, that we would choose the path of godly wisdom and not the path of foolishness that leads to destruction. Let me pray for you. God, we are so grateful and thankful for the promise of your presence. I'm so thankful today for your word and how your word speaks directly to our hearts. It shines a light often on things in our lives that uh, we may have been hiding in the dark. And your word never returns to you void. And so today we thank you for this word that you've given us. God, it's my prayer today that every single one of us here would choose the right path. And sometimes, God, we find ourselves on the wrong path. And it happens because we begin to follow things that are all about us and not all about you. And so I pray if there be anyone here today that maybe takes a look at their life and recognize, you know what, somewhere, some way, somehow, I've got onto the wrong path and I've made this about me and I've made this about what I want and what I want to be and my greatness and my gifts and my abilities and my talents. God, I thank you today for the opportunity to be able to switch paths. It's never too late to switch. It's never too late to back up. It's never too late to start over fresh and new. 
So I pray today if some people found themselves on that path, that today would be a day that you would guide them and lead them to the path that you would want to walk with them on. And maybe there's somebody here today that's just beginning down that path of foolishness and it feels so right and it feels so good and they're finding some happiness in that, but they honestly can look up and see on further down the path that it's going to lead them to destruction. God, I pray that today would be a day that they would switch paths. We thank you today for allowing us the opportunity and the ability to choose our path. And I pray today that the path that we choose would be the path of wisdom, the path that you will walk with us, the path that people will see you on our journey and not see us. Thank you for this reminder today that everything that we have in our life that is good is so that we could show people your goodness whether it be with our money, our success, our job, our talents, our gifts, whatever it may be. I pray that we would always have in the forefront of our mind that whatever it is that we have is so that we can bring honor and glory to who you are in our lives. I pray that you'd find us faithful doing that. You would find us obedient doing that as individuals, as families, and especially as the church. I pray that we'd always be a beautiful reflection of who you are to this community. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us and for speaking this goodness and greatness into our lives today. We'll always be careful to give you the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys.